When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome everybody to another edition of the PHNX Suns podcast. I'm your host, Greg Esposito. Ahoy, hoy. And joined as always by at least one third of the other three that are usually here. It's Gerald Borgay. Gerald, how are you? I'm doing all right, Espo. How are you? Well, at least we didn't have a son's loss last night. The Cardinals <laughs> took one in the shorts, but you know, we don't have to talk about that. So that's all right with me. Yeah, that was that was rough. But like you said, we don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, Espo. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we don't have to, and we won't be. Thank you very much, AJ Green, for your service uh, there. Uh, anyways, uh, we are brought to you by the DraftKings Sportsbook app, America's number one sportsbook app. If you bet $5 on any NFL team this weekend and they win, which if you bet the Cardinals they didn't, you're going to get $200 in free bets. It's just that easy. Just use that code PHNX when signing up. Uh, Gerald, I'd like to act like, uh, you know, it's uh, it's all sunshine and rainbows on this side of the fence, too, uh, outside of the Cardinals. But it's obviously been a rough start. We spent a lot of time talking yesterday about uh, the D.A. portion of the start to the season. But I want to shift a little bit to the backcourt today and talk and we'll start with the point guard. Chris Paul, I don't know why I paused there. Just dramatic, you know, <laughs> just in case anybody forgot that Chris Paul is the point guard of the Phoenix Suns. Uh, he he struggled, at least in the last two games, as he shot three of 15 from the field uh, against Portland and then against Sacramento. Where are you sitting in terms of what is going on with Chris Paul, or do you feel like nothing's going on with Chris Paul? This is just a blip in the radar. Yeah, I, I think it's more of an outlier in those two cases than anything else. I know a lot of people are going to be quick to jump to, oh, he's 36 years old. We should have seen this coming whenever he has a bad game. But I really do think, you know, you look at the first two games and he was really efficient. Um, he put up a total of like 38 points on what was it? 12 of 23 shooting. So above 50 percent shooting in both games. Um, and he had 24 assists in those two games. So like, I don't, I think those are both just two rough games for him. I think they're more outliers than anything. And like we kind of talked about yesterday when we were talking about DA in that second half, he just missed a lot of makeable mid range shots that he normally hits. It wasn't something where he looked like he was lacking burst or speed or was a step slow or whatever. He was just missing shots. So 
Yes, it's rough. He went like three for 15 in those two games. And the Suns obviously need him to do better than I think he averaged five points per game over that stretch. But he's still distributing the ball. I think he had 19 assists over those two games. So it's one of those things where it's more of an outlier for me. Maybe something to keep an eye on for sure. But um, I wouldn't start panicking or be worried about him just yet. Yeah, I would. I, you know, I understand the propensity for panic and you always want to look at the guy that just got the, I know it was four years on paper, but really it's uh it's three. Uh, and even that it's partially guaranteed in the third, but you, you want to look at that guy that that's older and go, aha, see, I told you <laughs> we can't spend that kind of money because he's going to fall off a cliff. And I don't know. I don't think this is a cliff as much as, I mean, let's just say like it was that Sacramento game was just weird for everybody. Right. Devin Booker struggles from the floor. They miss a lot of uh, heat and CP three miss a lot of open looks, especially in that third quarter. I mean, Chris Paul, one of 10, how many times are we going to see Chris Paul shoot 10% uh, in a game that he gets up uh, double digit shots? You're just, it's not going to happen on a regular basis. And, And you're right. The assists, He's come through. I mean, he he's had, like you said, uh, 19 assists in those two games. So even when he's struggling, he's trying to distribute. The weirdest thing to me, though, was that moment in the fourth mm-hmm. where Monty pulls him out to give him what seems like rest. And Monty's explanation uh, after the game was, you know, uh, referencing back to the year before and how he felt like he kind of overused him at times. The fourth quarter seems like a very odd time to decide, you know, and in middle of fourth quarter, really odd time to decide point books where we need to go right now. We'll take CP three out and give him a three minute breather while we're fighting for our lives in this game. Did that strike you as odd too, Gerald? Yeah, I mean, it definitely did, but he did bring up a good point at practice yesterday when he was asked about it. Um, He mentioned that like that point book lineup kind of helped steady them a little bit. It it helped turn things around because obviously around that mark was when they they went on their run. Um, And the other thing he mentioned was like trying to figure out when the right time to bring Chris Paul back in is. Is it at four minutes? Is it at five minutes? Is it at three minutes? You know, basically coach mumbo jumbo for like, yeah, like he wasn't playing that well. This lineup was working. So I left him on the bench for a little bit longer than I normally would have. And then he did bring him back in. So it's it's one of those things where I think he was very fully cognizant of the fact that like, if I can afford Chris Paul a couple more minutes, that's good for us in the short term and the long term, especially if it's on a night where he's really struggling to shoot the ball. So I think those just kind of converged. I don't know if it's something I would keep an eye out for, but um, it, it's good that Monty is a little bit flexible and, and not going to just ride with a guy who's struggling, even if it is, you know, Chris Paul. It's interesting in the first four games, three of those games, Chris Paul's been sub 30 minutes. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I don't know if they are just more cognizant of that after how many miles were put on him. If CP three is a little bit more uh, open to the idea of getting some rest this year. I mean, it's, it's famously documented about how OKC wanted him to take multiple games off. Like this was their plan. And 
and he told uh, the whole crew there that they could, Sam Presti in the group, that they could take a long walk off a short pier when they suggested that idea. But maybe he is open to fewer minutes, but not taking off actual games to stay rested because you could tell at, at certain points in the playoffs he had just been, he had just gone so hard for so long that uh, that it became difficult to keep that energy up. So, yeah, and, and it's entirely possible. It's also, again, it, it's really hard to tell with stuff like this because we've only got four games to go off of. But, yeah. um, you know, in the in the Lakers game, they were up big for most of the game, and then the Lakers made it respectable at the end. So. That was probably why he didn't play as much. The Portland game was over by halftime, let's be honest. <laughs> and then True. the Kings game, I, I think that's the one where it's like, okay, maybe they are because he only played 30 minutes. But again, when you start 0 for 7, it's a little easier to to leave a guy on the bench for a little bit longer than he might normally be there. Yeah, I, I think I'd be concerned if, if the assists weren't there. And then you look at it too. I mean, he's had two steel games in three of the first four games and then had one in that Portland game. I mean, he's, he's active defensively still as well. And turnovers, I mean, he started rough uh, eight in the first two games, but he's only had two in, in the last two games. I don't think there's anything to, to worry about here. I think this is a market correction. I know uh, our, our friend Saul Bookman uh, got a little concerned, a little <laughs> salty, if you will, in the post-game show uh, in regards to uh, to CP3 uh, the other night after the Sacramento loss. But uh, I think, as as we talked about yesterday, if that had been a win, if they had won at the buzzer rather than losing, a lot of people probably are ignoring, oh, that was an off night for CP3, rather than, oh, is this, you know, he's not... <laughs> He's not washed, but his foot might be in the bathtub, kind of. You know, <laughs> I like so. I I'm not overly concerned. No, me neither. I, I think it was an outlier. Um, and yeah, you know, in a loss, you're obviously going to look for people to blame, especially when the guards are missing a bunch of shots. And DeAndre Ayton had such a strong half. Of, of course, you're going to look for <laughs> for who was to blame <laughs> for that. But I wouldn't be concerned unless it you know continues over the next few weeks. You know, this show is much uh, calmer and level-headed when it's just <laughs> you and I. I don't know why, but it, it, it there's some there's some additional logic to uh, to what we're looking at here. You uh, you got me in a different mindset on the DA <laughs> stuff yesterday. You're basically my therapist, is what I'm saying. You're my son's therapist here. Uh, <laughs> luckily, you're not charging me hourly, so that's good. Uh, another guy that some people uh, were a little. Uh, I won't say concerned, but wondering why he only uh, got two shots the other night in 19 minutes was Landry Shamit, who actually spoke to the media yesterday at practice. Let's hear what he had to say. I know for me, I just got to be more aggressive, uh, not forcing things. That's what I was kind of frustrated about last night. I felt like I could have affected the game in a more positive way offensively. Um, anytime I play that many minutes and I only get one three up, I think I'm doing my team a, a disservice so uh, finding ways to be more aggressive um, be a threat make the right play not be you know just be aggressive um, knowing I put the work in and I do everything that I'm supposed to be doing and um, and my teammates need me to do that so um, I can only really take ownership for myself and also you know 
making plays, making the right reads, getting our guys threes. I missed a couple uh, last night watching film, uh, making the wrong read where I could have thrown it to a corner three. Uh, so things like that. I mean, I think it's kind of natural to have a little bit of a hiccup early, I guess, and, um, and we'll figure it out. I I love it. We're getting a lot of the uh, uh, the normal player turn of phrases here early in the season. We're getting be aggressive, you know, ball movement. I love it. We're hitting, we're playing all the hits right now, but I think with Landry, it is pretty accurate. There it seemed like in that Sacramento game, some opportunities he had to shoot. He didn't really pull the trigger and he's proven in the short time he's been here that he has the ability to go on those streaks. Like we saw from Langston Galloway or, or Etwan Moore uh, last year where he can be instant offense. It feels like they need him to to do that for that second unit to really click. Yeah, and, and especially with campaign out for you know basically a week or more, um, they need a guy who is like they had Langston Galloway, and he was a guy that you could kind of give the ball to, and and he would produce. But like this is a shooter shooter. Like Langston Galloway was a shooter. Landry Shamit is a shooter shooter. They have to be better about designing some sets for him that get him coming off of screens spotting up from three like that is what he's best at and if you're not utilizing that like i'm sorry i know they want to like give him the ball more and let him be a secondary playmaker and all that stuff he's a decent ball handler but like what he's best at is spotting up from three so if you're not designing some plays specifically for him you're not utilizing him correctly and and i'm not you know trying to put the blame on Monty, like Shamit said. And like you said, there were a couple of instances in the Kings game where he passed up a shot that he probably should have taken. Um, and that's just kind of the territory that comes with joining a new team. When you're overthinking it a little bit, you're trying to fit in, but also do what you do. Like it can be a balance and they're still figuring that balance out. But like, yeah, shooting one, three against the Kings, taking two shots, like I looked at his obviously very small sample sizes we're dealing with here, but like per 36 minutes, he's only taking 5.1 three-point attempts and his previous career low was 7.3. So he's well below, you know, the normal three-point rate that he takes. And yeah, he's playing fewer minutes on the Suns than he has in the past. But like if you're going to play him fewer minutes, you've got to give him opportunities to make the most of them. Otherwise, like, what are we doing here? And why did we give this guy a four-year extension, you know? Yeah, and I feel like the Landry Shamit is, like many of the Suns, trying to figure out what they should be doing. I mean, we talked about it early in the year with DA shooting threes, and Monty goes, hey, he needs to be doing what, what he's best at and what he's practicing. Mm-hmm. Landry feels like a guy that's trying to figure out where do I best fit in? I, I mean, I don't think JaVale's thinking about it, but I think everybody else is thinking about how does JaVale fit in all this as well. JaVale just goes, ball, uh, make a play. Like, that's just JaVale's thinking. Uh, but but I feel like everybody else is, is trying to figure out what his role is. And even to a lesser extent, we talked about him yesterday, but I feel like Cam Johnson is trying to figure out, okay, who am I kind of thing. And (laughs) it's weird because it felt like they had everything so figured out last year. And I wonder if these guys, and obviously Landry wasn't here last year, but the, the, some of the other guys, Cam Johnson in particular are just going, okay, well, 
all we've heard about is we need to grow. We need to take that next step. And if they're just overthinking it, putting too much pressure on trying to be that next thing that they could be rather than being what, what they're really good at already. Yeah. And I, I mean, it, it's been a process with the bench for sure, because like you said, like a guy like JaVale McGee needs to be reined in a little bit right now because he had he had four turnovers in the Kings game and all of them, I think, were live ball turnovers for the most part. Um, he was really bad in that game. And then like Cam Johnson, like we've been saying, um, he hasn't been off to the kind of uh, breakout start that we were hoping for, especially coming off that finals run where he was basically the Suns third option. Um, you know, he's only shooting like 35% from three, averaging six points a game. Monty had said he needs to find a way to get him and Landry more minutes, which is encouraging. Um, but, you know, if guys aren't hitting shots, they're not hitting shots. Uh, that, that that doesn't really apply to Landry. He's six for 10 from three. So <laughs> that's a guy that you probably want to keep encouraging to shoot and finding ways to get him shots. But yeah, like I said, this guy is a an elite spot up shooter. He's a guy that can curl off of screens and spot up in a flash like he he's just that good from three-point range so they really need to do a better job of um, running some plays that get him going and make the most of what he does yeah this isn't high school in english 60 percent is a good thing from a three-point <laughs> shooter uh in the nba so yeah get landry shamit some some shots and i am I'm all for positionless basketball, except when it comes to JaVale McGee. He needs to be reminded he's a center, not a point guard. <laughs> let's uh, let's try to cut down the turnovers for sure. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something at you that I didn't discuss with you pre-show because that's just the way I roll, Gerald. I think you're figuring that out. Uh, if two two parter, if you were to go to a Halloween party with a Phoenix Suns a member of the Phoenix Suns. We can go past or present, however you want to roll with it. Who would you choose? And then who on this team do you think would have the best costume choice? Ooh, that's a good question. If I were to go to a Halloween party with someone, I feel like, I don't know why, but I feel like campaign would just be a lot of fun, especially <laughs> if it's here in the Valley, because everybody here loves that dude. So, you know, you'd be getting free drinks and he'd be the life of the party wherever he goes i i mean any of these guys would be let's be honest but like campaign is just like that dude in the valley he's even got the little tasmanian devil valley tattoo on him now like he is the valley i, I would go with campaign best costume though mm, that's a tricky one I mean, Frank is a is a name that you gravitate <laughs> towards, but half his wardrobe looks like a costume at times. Like you remember yeah. that uh, you remember that cowboy hat denim thing that he rolled out in that one time. Like I do. So like I don't know if he'd just come regularly dressed to a Halloween party because it's counter to what he usually wears. You know. Yeah, I I feel like Frank would be a guy that gets into Halloween, but I feel like someone like I feel like someone may if Devin Booker was willing to dress up, I feel like his would be the best just because he's got like the money to be, and he's a trendsetter. Like any costume that he dresses as is going to be cool. So I feel like he would be the, the default pick for me. I feel like he's too cool for the dressing up though. Right. He could be like, like he'd show up and he'd be the guy that like is rocking his normal clothes and he throws on like a stethoscope and he's like, I'm a cool doctor. You know, like, <laughs> He's like Jim from the office. He just puts on the three, the three circles and he's three hole punch booker. I, you know, what would be hilarious is if he, uh, 
if he went as James Harden or one of the other ex Kardashians and and his, and Kendall went as a, as one of her sisters, that could be pretty funny. Oh man. Yeah, it just turned right into <laughs> turn right into it like accept it. I think I think Mikhail would be the guy I'd want to go to a party with because mm-hmm. he's got like that sneaky cool. He's like the the guy that would probably be pranking people somewhat too. <laughs> And I think he'd, I think he'd own that. Although I think James Jones is a a sneaky good pick in that because I'm betting Champ knows how to uh, how to have a good time out at a Halloween party. It's uh, I've always felt like that with him. Uh, I'm sure he does, I, and I feel like Mikhail is a sneaky good pick because I've never heard anybody say anything bad about Mikhail. Like everybody on this team loves that dude, so you know he's probably a fun dude to hang out with. I feel like Da would probably rock the best costume. That's another that was my second option because he's yeah. he, I feel like he would go all out too. I mean he's got he doesn't have as much money as he could have to spend on a costume, but I still <laughs> think he's doing all right to be able to find something pretty funny. It wouldn't shock me if uh if on Saturday night maybe he rolls up to the game and in something humorous for a, a little Halloween Eve uh fun. So I, I just I I figured this is the last time we're we're gonna be doing a, a show like this before Halloween. So we should get in a little theme uh, before, but you know, you know, it's not a trick and it's all treat Gerald. <laughs> What's that? Espo? The, the DraftKings Sportsbook app, America's number one sportsbook app. If you want to make your Halloween fun, because it is a football Sunday this year that Halloween falls on bet $5 on any NFL game. If that team wins, you are going to get $200 in sweet sweet free bets Uh, if you sign up using the code phnx it's just that simple DraftKings is easy reliable and secure which means you can get that money out faster than you can get candy out of that bag that your kid just brought home yeah i take my kids candy sometimes (laughs) that's just that's just how i roll but i can replace it when i win one of my bets this weekend using the same game parlays that I love to do. I lost a big one last night. Uh, I I did a crazy five leg Cardinals game parlay, and I hit on one of the five legs, and that was that the uh, the Green Bay Packers would cover the spread, uh, and I lost everything else. But I was gonna I was gonna win like uh, I think nineteen thousand dollars on a twenty five dollar bet. So oh, you know i I like to I like to just have a little fun with that so that's just uh that's how i like to roll with it i want i want to give you my DraftKings pick of the week here too right gerald yeah uh, i'm gonna say take the money line for the suns against the Cavs on saturday night but take the points for the Cavs. i think the suns are gonna win but i don't think it's gonna be uh, you know i i I'm guessing the spread is gonna gonna be similar to what we saw against Sacramento, and I just don't think the Suns can cover uh, a big spread. I think this is gonna be another close game, but they will get the win because they're gonna come out focused after a couple days of practice. I think Monty will clean everything up, so that'll be my DraftKings pick of the week. Take the Suns money line for Saturday, but take the points when it comes to the Cavs. If you want to get in on that action, again, head over to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, sign up using the code PHNX, and then you can bet on my pick of the week. You can also 
Put $5 down on any NFL team. If you're just signing up, you get $200 in free bets. If that team wins 21 and over Arizona, only gambling problem. Call 1-800 next step. New customers only eligibility restrictions apply. See draftkings.com slash sportsbook for details. Do you want a manscape read or should we go into our Friday fun? And then I can bring that up later, Gerald. I mean, I feel like they're both Friday fun, so you you go well, for it. <laughs> this is this is true. Let's just hop into our, our topic, and I'll uh, maybe I'll I'll slide one in uh, manscape reading as we're going along on that. We'll figure <laughs> it out. That's how Friday fun works here. We're gonna hop into a G rated, which today works for Gerald and Greg. Not that most people <laughs> know me as Greg, but we'll go with it. That is my actual name. We're gonna talk about the show Succession, although some people say Secession. But that is not how you say this. It's a succession because it's a show about somebody succeeding their father as a CEO of a massive company. Gerald, I am I'm hooked on this HBO show. I got in a year late. I had to binge watch season one to start uh, season two on time. But I have I have fallen in love with this very, very bizarre show. Are you in on succession? Oh, absolutely. I think it's probably the second best show that's active on TV right now. Um, for those of you who don't know what it's about, it's it's about a uh, guy played by Brian Cox, who is this multimedia company mogul, um, basically, you know, billionaire guy, huge company. And he is kind of a jerk and he has multiple kids and they all have their strengths and weaknesses. And obviously this guy's getting older and it's basically all about who is going to take over the company and, and kind of their plotting and their scheming. It's it's kind of like a corporate Game of Thrones, but without the murder. Like it's well, kind and more of. humor. Yeah. There, there's been a little there's been a little murder as well. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, there has been death, that's for sure. But <laughs> um it's it's just it's a very well written show with really vibrant characters and it's so funny like it's it's a very funny show despite the fact that it's a drama um it's just so well done that's the insanity about it and when i found out the executive producers were adam mckay and will ferrell right like you're like <laughs> what the hell and then you go oh yeah well they you know mckay was involved in in the big short and i you know things like that that you think of those guys and you default to like Anchorman, but then there's been very, you know, entertaining things that, that they've done as well that have more of a, a bent like this show. But I don't think most people realize it's a comedy. Yeah. I mean, they, they see it and it, it plays very much like this is some drama, but it really is more like a soap opera, like a, a highly produced soap opera, <laughs> that that is it has so much comedy sometimes you know i know that they they intend it but sometimes there's unintended it almost feels like just based on uh on the way they put this together it is it is spectacular and uh you know even when they talk about very dark subjects <laughs> the the reality of it is it's so funny and macaulay culkin's it's his brother right yeah karen plays culkin a, yeah plays a plays roman one of the one of the sons and his character is spot on. I like, he, he feels like he embodies it as, as a, a son that's kind of a screw up that does things as, as the little brother, that's kind of for shock uh, effect, you know, and, and you can tell 
this whole family is so messed up because the patriarch, uh, Brian Cox's character, uh, just has really messed these kids up. And in the end, it, it's amazing to me how so much of it revolves around these kids just wanting either their father's love or their father's approval. Like yeah. that's really all, all it comes down to <laughs> is this whole thing is this guy's a real asshole and his kids have been so damaged by it that they all just want to find a way to make him happy, even though it comes at the detriment of their well-being at every turn, basically. Yeah, and, and I feel like that kind of thing has been done before, but like the way that this show does it with each one, their damage like sh from their father showing in such different ways. Like Roman, he's, I mean, he's hilarious, but like he is kind of the perpetual screw up. He is the immature one that nobody really takes seriously because he says all these irreverent things, but like deep down he is, he has very real insecurities and like he actually is really smart, but he kind of has this like self-destructive streak in him. And then Kendall is just like, the way that Jeremy Strong plays Kendall, who is like basically the main son and kind of the main, I don't even want to say protagonist because at this point, everybody on this show has like major character flaws, but like he's kind of, even the way he speaks is like riddled with insecurities. Like he like stutters and then like he says these most ridiculous things that like he's trying to be one of the youths of America. Yeah. <laughs> like, All these buzzwords talking about yeah. how he wants his Twitter to be uh, off the hook and you know, yeah. all these things that, that, yeah, it's, it's so it, you're right. All their insecurities play in such different ways, but I think that's part of why this works so well. Mm -hmm. Also, because I think people see a little bit of themselves in, you know, in, in their own insecurities in it as well. I mean, not to the extent that, yeah. uh, that these characters have them because they're obviously uh, caricatures of, of things, but uh, it's, it's so well done. And then it brings up all sorts of questions about wealth in this country, the media in this country mm -hmm. uh, and, and how, how just this family dynamic actually is playing into into all that as well, and then the the secondary characters are just as messed up as the family, <laughs> which makes it so damn entertaining to watch all these people tripping over themselves for a chance to run this company that, in the end, actually looks like it would just be a hell of a lot worse to run that company than not be involved in it at all. Yeah, it's it's hilarious because like. Like you're saying, the secondary characters, they kind of get this trickle-down effect that starts at the top with Logan Roy and, and his kids. Um, like Shiv, who is his daughter, and she's she might be the smartest one of, of the children. Um, she doesn't really get her chance to shine in, in terms of taking over the company because she's a woman, basically. Yeah. Um, and like her husband, I feel so bad for him because... Like she doesn't even realize that what her father did to her, she kind of does to her husband because she's not capable of being in a healthy, like monogamous relationship. Um, like she literally tells him on their wedding night in season one that like she cheated on him basically. But, but she implies that they had already agreed on an open yeah. relationship. And this poor guy doesn't know how to respond to it. Yeah. Like, it's, it's so hilarious. <laughs> like I, that was one of my favorites. Like I was just like, 
this poor schlub is just like, I don't know how to, uh, okay, I guess, you know? And then there's a whole in the second season where he's like trying to act like he's into the open relationship on the boat <laughs> and doesn't know how to handle that. I'm like, oh my gosh, this, this whole thing, how intricate each of these characters is and how they all inter, interplay with each other is so great. Yeah, and, and that's the best part about Tom is like you feel sorry for him because of the way that Shiv treats him and because he's, you know, this Minnesota kid who wasn't did not come from wealth. He came from a normal family and he's marrying into this insane family with all the scheming and the money and the power. But like he turns around and does the same thing to Greg that Shiv does to him as far as like tormenting this poor dude and like playing with his head, playing mind games, looping him into stuff. Um, like using him as his kind of inside eyes and ears throughout the company, but like also just generally treating him like shit. So it's like a never ending cycle. And I'm sure you have thoughts on Greg, given that yeah. <laughs> you've expressed these opinions to me before. Can we, can we, Leah, let's take a few minutes here on <laughs> cousin Greg. All right. This guy. And I know it's just a character and I know they wrote it that, this guy sets Greg's back hundreds of years. How dumb he is in this show and the stupidity. Like there's a line in season three where he's like, I'm too young to have to talk to Congress a second time. What the hell does that even mean? I was like, dying. Like, I was I'm like, so seriously, kid? And he's, he's just a pawn with everybody. Like he doesn't understand how to do anything or get out of his own way. Like the whole storyline with his grandfather, who's, kind of involved with the company but not really he's the brother of uh of logan roy like it's just it's so bad oh like, i I'm, love I'm greg embarrassed. oh i i love the character because he's so entertaining but i'm like really it had to be my name because look greg's have been treated very very unfairly when it comes to comes to fictional media all right You've got Greg Brady from the Brady Bunch. Not okay. exactly what I'd really want to hang my hat on as, mm. as a Greg. And then the other most famous uh, Greg in uh, in uh, entertainment is the protagonist of the children's book Diary of a Wimpy Kid, who's named <laughs> Greg as well. Like, why? What's with the Greg slander? Why are so many Gregs getting drugged through the mud by these fictional Gregs? We deserve better. I've had to hide behind the name Espo because of all these fictional Gregs that make it so hard to have that name. <laughs> so you're what telling me you deserve this. So this is the origin of your nickname is because of how poorly you were portrayed as Gregs in, in movies and TV shows throughout your life. <laughs> yes. We need a coalition of Gregs to stop this slanderous depiction of us throughout media. I am not okay with this. Cousin Greg needs a new name going into season four, or I'm boycotting the rest of succession. I'm not. <laughs> but, but man, I wish he was named something else. Oh, man. See, I would argue that Greg has advanced the likability of the name Greg just because nobody dislikes Greg on the show. <laughs> like, I, you, you just feel sorry for it because he's such a like bumbling like kid that's trying to make his way through just this unfamiliar territory. Like he he has no idea what he's doing with these people, but like just dealing with Tom alone is teaching him, you know, the ropes and like how to get by. But at the end of the day, he's still just this bumbling kid and it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah Gerald, because what you want a character named you're saying named to be described as is bumbling. Like, 
if he was cousin Gerald, you'd feel the same way I do right now. Like, okay, yeah, see, good character, <laughs> but I wish he was named anything else. Okay, see, that's the thing is for a long time I had it good with Gerald because the only famous Gerald in television was Gerald from Hey Arnold, and he was cool. He was a hooper. <laughs> And then they had to go and ruin it in Finding Dory and name that that sea lion Gerald, the one that they told him to get off the rock all the time. <laughs> okay, so you have one of two. I'm over three in depictions of Greg's here that I could think of. Like it's yeah, not it's fair. not a deep pool, and and it's not a good pool either. That you want it's like the pool the kid pees in. You don't want to swim in that. Like that's what I got with the Greg's in terms of things. Although. I do have a sneaking theory that eventually at the end of the show, the only appropriate way for it to end is with Greg as the CEO somehow. I I think you've talked yourself into a Greg centric redemption (laughs) storyline. No, no. I think it would be just as bad as it sounds. This guy shouldn't be the CEO of something, but it just feels like where we're inevitably heading that that's (laughs) that guy winds up as the head of uh, uh, the Roy Star Wayneco uh, company. It just feels like that's where it's heading, and it just turns disastrous as well. So that, that, that'd be like in Game of Thrones when they tried to tell us that Bran was the right choice to be the final king at the very end. <laughs> Everybody was like, "Why? Why? Why did they do that?" That would no, be Greg. Taking no, over. it'd be like if a court jester from the from Game <laughs> of Thrones time got the got the throne. Like it. it oh. Thank you. Thank you, Adam McKay and Will Farrell for, for giving me yet another Greg I have to cringe about when I hear hear the name. Like uh, I had such high hopes too. I was hope I was hoping it was all an act and he was smarter than he was letting on in season one. That yeah. was not the case. So so Gerald, if uh, if you had to rate succession, where what are you giving it? Yeah, I'm I'm probably going nine out of ten on this show. It's just really well done. Um, the acting is great. It's both funny and it can be serious and and cut deep at times. Um, and there's just so many great characters. It, it's hard to find a cast that's that good and so many good characters. So I'd I'd go nine out of ten. Uh, if I'm rating it on Greg bias, it gets a zero out of ten. <laughs> but if I'm rating it on pure entertainment. I'm going to give it nine and a half Phoenixes. I feel like I need to grade on a Phoenix scale okay. when I get angry like that. But I love I love the show. If you haven't checked it out, HBO or HBO Max, it's worth uh, paying a few extra shekels a month uh, to mm-hmm. do that. And if you want to win a few extra shekels, head over to that DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use that code PHNX. Put down five bucks, you're going to get 200 on in free bets if your NFL team wins this weekend. And if you want to... Look good, feel good, and act good, unlike everybody in that show, Succession, or, uh, you know, if you want to at least feel a little bit smarter than Greg. Use Manscaped. Uh, the Lawnmower 4.0 is the Cadillac of male grooming products. And, uh, you know, if you want uh, your nether regions to feel like the CEO of a major company, use that uh, Use that promo code PHNX. Get 20% off. Get free shipping at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you, although mine have never spoken to me. So I think it'd be a little weird if the first time they did was to thank me for using Manscaped. So that is uh, Manscaped there. Also, make sure to subscribe at gophnx.com so you can read Gerald's stuff because he's not writing two hundred or 2,500 words on DeAndre Ayton just for his own uh, you know, efficacy. He, he's doing it for him, for you, the people, 
So get out there and, and check out all his written coverage as, long, as well as our Cardinals coverage by Johnny Venerable, Coyotes by Craig Morgan. We've just got a plethora, a cornucopia, a fantastic uh, arrangement of content that you can get there and unlock by becoming a member. And don't forget to check out all the shirts in the PHNX locker. You can rep your sons. There is a still a $200 bounty. That sounds like a, it's such a bad term, but that's what I'm going <laughs> with a bounty that if you get yourself behind Kevin Ray and whoever's broadcast partner is that night, Eddie Johnson or Ann Myers Drysdale, if you can get in the seat between them and get a PHNX shirt on air, Saul and I are going to pay you 200 bucks right out of our own pockets. That's, that's what we're doing. That is, that's our call uh, to all of our fans out there. Let's make this happen just for entertainment purposes at the very least. So Gerald, uh, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Nope. I, I think we're hoping for big things from the Suns and from succession this weekend. So let's get it. We are. And you are not eligible, Gerald, just so you know. You can't run <laughs> from your spot on press row behind them with a PHNX shirt and get 200 bucks. You're you're ineligible, all right? All right. I think that's fair. All right. You can follow him at Gerald Borgay on Twitter. You can follow me at Espo. You can follow the show at PHNX underscore Suns. We will be back Saturday with a pregame show live at 630 post-game show featuring Gerald live from the Footprint Center directly following the game. So until then, ahoy hoy.